Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, summer episode number six. And yeah, your your little beatbox sound... (laughs) I'm pretty sure it got caught right. No, no, <laughs> right at the beginning. Oh no, we're gonna keep it there. So if you if you, you go back, listen, oh brother, you, like word. keep going. Scrub to the very right before I say <sighs> welcome. There's like this wiki wiki. That's that's Andy over there being <sighs> goofy. But yeah, happy summer episode. Yeah, the summer's like over. Yeah, so you know, uh, two you, weeks from now, season three. Yeah. Do you know what a lot of people do in the summer? They usually Sleep. go to like the ocean or something. But I'm not doing that. But do you know about seagulls? Do you know why they fly over the sea? Because there's food there. Because if they flew over the bay, they'd be a bagel, Tim. A uh, bagel, Tim. Do you know why the sea is so salty? Oh, I'm so excited about this. No, tell me. Because all it does is wave at us and we never wave back. Oh, <laughs> oh that's going into my joke list. That's really good. I can't remember. I saw that meme online <laughs> once and I thought it was super funny. See, now look, Tim. Tim, Tim, <laughs> Tim is like squinty eyes. I'm getting like, salty. <laughs> Somebody didn't wave well, back. Speaking of salt, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's oh, talk about some it? books. Okay, I got to, um, again, low reading levels uh, at the time we're recording this for the summer, so I'm pulling out some books to recommend. So in the past, I had recommended a book on apologetics called Mapping Apologetics by Brian Morley. So what he does is he goes through like eight to ten uh, apologists from different systems, and he teaches you... You know, this guy holds to this system, and these are his basic ideas. And it kind of gives you a good overview of apologetics. Um, another book I'm going to recommend in that same vein is Five Views on Apologetics. Um, it's in the Counterpoint series, and uh, Gundry and Cowan are the editors. Um, I really like this book. So if, if you don't know much about apologetics, this is a not a bad place to start. It's not like the best book ever, but what it does is it takes five different apologists, and it has them each write a chapter on how to do apologetics. And if you're not familiar with a five views book or a multi-views book, the person who's arguing for one position will write a full length chapter explaining their position. And then the other contributors, whether it's two, three, four, whatever here, in this case, it's four other contributors They each get to like a two to four page response. Now, why that's so helpful is if the one guy says, Hey, this is what I think. And he'll lay out his case. It gives everyone else an opportunity to say either, hey, I agree with him or, oh, I really disagree with him or, hey, I agree with this part and not with this part. And because you hear one guy explain his position and four other people disagree or agree, you learn it differently than if you were just reading one guy present his case. It's part of a, if you're trying to learn something and you keep reading about it and you don't understand it, sometimes find whatever that thing isn't and read about that. And the contrast in your mind will help you learn. Sometimes it'll get you past that mental block um, if you are having a hard time reading the positive case that the person does. So here, one person writes the case, their, their position, four people respond, and then one of those four people write the next chapter and everyone else responds. So for this one, I think what's really intriguing is William Lane Craig, uh, presents his case on apologetics. He's really well known for classical apologetics. Uh, and John Frame, who writes the presuppositional chapter, he responds to Craig and, and basically says, like, where's the Bible? 
like you're not really using the Bible much. Uh, and then Gary Habermas goes in the next chapter and frames like, yeah, that was good, but where's the Bible? And then finally, this other guy, he speaks and he's like, finally, someone using the Bible. Uh, now, Craig and Habermas are saying, but we're trying to actually persuade people without the Bible because they're not going to believe the Bible. And you might say, well, why would you ever do that? Well, part of what you'll see is how these different systems of apologetics work. So it's kind of neat. It's a little bit of a niche book. So if you're not interested in apologetics, probably not your cup of tea. Yeah, those views, counterpoints, perspectives, books. There's uh, yep. several of them. We have like a whole section in the bookstore. You have a huge section of these. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. massive. So if you're ever just wanting to learn some theology or deal with some kind of an issue with the different views, like even Christian worship, they're not all uh, theological issues. Well, worship's still a theological issue, but at least some some of the issues are more practical. Um. Also, uh, just kind of interesting, just to piggyback on what Stearns is saying, sometimes we read wrong theology to better understand right theology. You need to be careful how much poison you're drinking, okay? But um, it's okay to read some error uh, just to better understand what truth is. And if, you know, you might want to even be uh, talking to your pastor about that, uh, be careful what kind of error you're reading, and the only thing I would say is you don't start with the error. And I don't think you're saying that, but it's probably right. worth telling the listener. Yes. This is more like you've read a lot of the truth and you're a little bit, conf- you're like, what, what am I missing? It's okay to then go and read the error mm-hmm. under the, you know, discernment of a pastor or something. And eventually what you would, str- a good goal to strive for is you, you want to, tr- and I'm not good at this. So it is a goal that I have. But when you read someone of an opposing viewpoint, to try and read it uh, and, and detach the emotional yes. category mm-hmm. of this person is opposing me. Like, don't don't read every sentence as an argument against you. Right. Don't take it personally. That's yeah. really important. And And take the emotion out of it and try to ask good exegetical questions. It's like, how mm-hmm. is this? So this is the point he's trying to make. And to kind of go piggyback of what you're saying, like, okay, so what passage is he making that point from or passages? And where is he seeing that in the text? And not to just, you know, uh, uh, our students hear a lot of our theology a lot, but just to, to throw a plug in there is when you do that with certain styles of theology, you're going to realize something. Some systems of theology are very—they bully the Old Testament. They they make points of Old Testament passages that those Old Testament passages do not specifically, explicitly say. And then you have to ask a, a good exegetical question. Well, if the, if the passage doesn't say that, where did that idea come from? And that gets you into a big, a larger discussion of continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, I'll let you journey down that uh, river on your own. But you want to get to a point where you can, with a a cool, in a sense of not hot, angry, or upset mind, analyze the exegesis that's happening. And that's going to help you be a better student of the word. That actually happens. So I teach apologetics. And we look at the new atheists and it's very hard for students to detach from the shock and aghast, like, oh, I can't believe he thinks that it's, it's very hard for them to detach from that. Uh, whatever. It's kind of this like, ah, I can't believe it. 
and get to the point where they're saying, okay, what's the reason he makes this case? Why does he say that? Like analyze the issue. So I would agree with you. If you can get to where you detach or you're dispassionate, like one of those words, it's easier to look at these books. And It's been called a disinterested interest, a disinterested interest. I think that was James Sire. Uh, in one of his books, uh, like The oh. Habits of the Mind, Habits of the Mind, yeah, mm-hmm. Habits, Habits of the, the Mind, mind. he uh, discusses uh, just learning and interacting with different views and doing it dispassionately so you can, so you can uh, discuss an idea and, and actually look at the idea for the idea's merits or demerits and and not look at it passionately from uh, from your feelings and how you feel towards it. Uh, so a disinterested interest in the topic. Okay, so it's my turn. I thought you had another comment. Uh, so the book I'm highlighting right I'm now is... everything that's happening. <laughs> I have uh, David Livingston. It's a biography. It's actually more of a children's biography. It's geared towards, I think, maybe 8 to 12-year-olds, but I would say probably 9 to maybe 15 year olds. I read through uh, a bunch of biographies when I was actually in seminary, or maybe it was when I was just done with seminary. Uh, I wanted to just become more familiar with uh, church historian. Well, not church historians. It'd be like recent missionaries is more what this series is. Uh, It's published by Youth with a Mission Publishing. And this series is Christian Heroes Then and Now. Again, they are geared for children. The print is pretty large, but the stories are really quite interactive. My son, Zach, is 10, and he's been smoking through these things. Uh, He started with George Mueller. He's reading David Livingston. We were uh, working around the house, and I said, hey, why don't you grab a book and just read to me while I'm working? And so he was reading this one to me, and I could just tell how he was really getting into the story. You know, it's David Livingston. He's getting eaten by a lion, and somebody's shooting it, and the lion's killing people. And so it's a pretty dramatic story, this one is. But, um, you know, the one he read before was George Mueller, and he wasn't getting chased by lions. And he really enjoyed that one as well. So uh, I really like this series. I read them when I was in seminary. Uh, they actually provided just a little bit of knowledge about some missionaries. And, uh, and they have a Heroes of History series as well, where it talks about, you know, Abraham Lincoln and people like that. But um, in this series, I actually use them even as sermon illustrations and teach somebody about David Livingston and use illustrations from his life in the sermon. Uh, so that was something that I did uh, <laughs> like 20 years ago. Um, but I'd recommend the series. So uh, Christian Heroes Then and Now, David Livingston, and there's a host of other ones. Okay, so this is kind of out there again as far as the uh, the book selection. It's not. It's not really He's out there. He's living in left field this summer. <clears throat> so yeah. Why I is it left field? Why isn't it right field? I mean, right field's really where nobody ever wants to cover or play baseball. Hey, I, I played first base in right field because, you know, I wasn't very fast. So. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know a lot about baseball. Right field. Go Cubs. Okay. So, uh, so the, the yeah, book... It's right field. Yeah, but why is it? I always try to say right field. Okay, why is right field is where nobody ever wants. You always put the worst player in right field. It it comes right up in Google. It autofills. Why is the right field the worst position? Right field is the worst of the three positions in the outfield. Left field is easy. Right field is much more difficult. The way the ball comes off the bat causes this. It's easy to judge a ball in left field. Really difficult to judge the ball off of the bat in right field. But the question is like, why is this? Why is the phrase that came out of left field? 
Man, that's right out of left field. Why is it? Google okay. that. So why? Oh, brother. Is listen. Uh, don't, did you guys field. play baseball? I did. Yeah. You always like put your worst player in right field. Yeah, that was exactly. Yeah. That's why I'm saying this. Is it right field or left field? Right no, field. Right. You stick them in right field because yeah. right-handed batters aren't going to hit it to to right field. They hit it to left more. So he just sits yeah. out there and picks dandelions. Out of yep. left field is an American slang meaning unexpected, odd, or strange. The phrase came from baseball terminology, well, thank you, uh, referring to a play in which the ball is thrown from the area covered by the left fielder to either home plate or first plate, surprising the runner. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Flip okay. the metaphor. Yeah, okay. All right. So it is it right came left out of field. left field. I still think it's better to so say. Like it's someone would be, someone right would be surprised out of left field. Yes, yeah, surprised. S- surprised that the, the throw actually got not there. Not expected. Yeah, you okay. never. Ex- yeah, we don't expect this. Okay, there so we you, go, listener. You got that figured this, out now. This book selection <laughs> is out of the left field. Yeah, oh. we're unexpected. It's unexpected. So the, it's it's. I'll start with just the first book. It's a it's a book of a series. It's called uh, the book is called the book of three which is the first in a series of, I think it's five, of the Chronicles of Pradane, which is a... I'm uh, sorry, can you say all of that again? <laughs> that sounded like carry the two, I don't think divide we need by it. four. Okay, so we don't need the it. author <laughs> is Lloyd Alexander, and the book the book of three came out in 1964. The book of three. The book of three. But it's a part of a five-part series. It's, it's, there's five <laughs> books. It's a pentology. But it's called what? the book of three? The first book in the <laughs> series. <laughs> okay, so okay, if you're familiar, I want to hear about this. You now. guys, you, you guys will, if you remember uh, a Disney movie in the '80s called The Black Cauldron. No, <laughs> sorry, it's on no. Disney Plus. You can go watch it right now. Maybe uh, there are some scary parts if you have little kids, but it's a Disney animated movie from the '80s, The Black Cauldron, which is titled after the second book in the series, but it actually covers a lot of the plot of the first one, which is the the Book of Three. So it's it's just like your your knights and all that type <laughs> of stuff story, but it, the main character Tarin is an assistant pig keeper. Pig. What in the world? This book's right out of Iowa. Yeah, it's, it's a very Iowa book. And so this pig That's where the has, left field was, I guess. No, 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 hold on. This is even more out of left field. The pig, uh, Henwin, has the power of clairvoyance. What? So this enchanter... Uh, holds the pig, pig because they like they like learn things from the pig. It's a fantasy, and yeah, it's a fantasy story. And to me, it was very similar, it, a very more child coming of age version of like a Lord of the Rings or like the Hobbit. Like, and it's this mythical land, Pradane, and there's this evil force, and they're trying to to stop the evil, fight the bad guy, and you have this main character who's growing throughout the series. And, uh, I think it's, it's, I would put it in like a, a younger, some of your boys, Tim, or even Mm -hmm. Evan. That sounds interesting. I think it's at a level of kind of like lowness of like, it's not like Lord of the Rings is so high, high language at times. And I I don't know if I was going to say high language, but it's, it's very different. The ideas are up there though. It's, it's not something you just consume easily. The story is not as deep of an arc. As as more Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is pretty hard to yeah. follow for kids. Yeah. So it'd be it'd be uh, if if you're on a spectrum of Lewisy Chronicles of Narnia to Lord of the Rings Tolkien, this is more 
towards the Chronicles side, but it's not as overtly Christian, but it is, it has virtue in it. And it is this, this child, the assistant pig keeper, he really wants to get honor and glory and he learns what honor and glory are as the story progresses. And he, he becomes better at holding his tongue and at controlling his temper mm. And, mm. and serving other people and, and being kind. And it's just, he, yeah, it, I found it incredible. It drew me in. Hmm. Like at first, like I'll, I'll admit, the first like chapter or so, I was like, eh. But then it got me. So I made it through t- the first two books, and I-, I would say that they are. I think I would be really excited to have kids read this. I think it would maybe hmm. cultivate some imagination and help further their own development of uh, of thinking through virtues and things like that. They could have thought of a better title. The Chronicles of Prydain. The Book, Book of Three. three. Part. One of five. <laughs> the whole thing is great. I just it anyway, actually so it all that shenanigans aside, that does sound really interesting. It it is, and uh, yeah, it was. It's um, it I, I it's fun. It's, oh, Black it's fun. Cauldron's book too. Yeah, the Black Cauldron's book too. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff there, and uh, I think. You know, if you if you're a fan of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, you probably will like this. There's a character like as they're going through, they come up on this character that's like kind of like beastie, but kind of a man, and has like a weird voice, and his name is Gurgi. And I'm I read wow. this, and it's 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 the story's own version of Smeagol, and so my first thought was, did this guy just rip things off of Lord of the Rings? Um. Because it, my I I couldn't listen to the story that was happening and not be like, dude, this is this, this is, is Smeagol. But there's a big difference where, it, uh, spoiler alert coming, if you oh, haven't. Oh, no, don't say no, it. No, 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 we're spoiler done. alert for Lord no. of the Rings. Oh, okay. That's Is that okay? No. Okay. We'll All just right. say that Smeagol in the Lord of the Rings books gets painted in a very evil light, and Gurgi in the Chronicles of Pertain actually becomes more good. You get, oh. you, you get drawn to his positives, and he becomes loyal over time, and he okay. actually becomes a positive hmm. character, as opposed to Smeagol, which, or Gollum. Yeah, he Which is, is is progressively more evil wow. of a character. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it's good. If you're if you're looking for a fun adventure kind of mythy type of mm. a read, I think this is worth your time. Yeah, I can order them in the bookstore if they're clean enough. Yeah, they are clean. There's actually I don't know. Well maybe we'll come back to it another time. There's more I could say. Content. Yeah, what do we got? <laughs> so I just have to say in the history of our podcast, Charlie is the best at segues and Tim. Is the worst. Is the quickest. <laughs> and here, here we are. Just, well, content. Content. <laughs> okay. Um, so the last time, um, <clears throat> last time I was interacting in the content, we went through the the Great Commission, and what I wanted us to do is at that time I wanted us to think about and meditate on the instruction to go to make disciples, and so we talked about. I think what had dawned on me is I had taken a view that. I do think it, there's merit to saying as you go, but I think I had recently seen where in the translation, it's probably a, a little bit of a command force on that go. Either way, um, Paul took it at least that he needed to go on missionary journeys. And it just dawned on me that, you know, I don't really get bold and go. And I think that's a good thing to consider. So that was what I wanted to consider last time. This time, I want to consider the other parts of it. So I'm going to read it again. And then I want to talk about the uh, I want to focus in on the teaching part of it and make a couple of comments. And then I have an idea, but I want to ask you guys about it. So mm. uh, it says this, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20 says, Go therefore 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's pretty well known that there's uh, some participles and a command. The command is to make disciples. The participles that sort of explain the command are go, baptizing, and teaching. Depending on the translation, go becomes part of the command to make disciples. Um, But what everyone agrees on is that baptizing and teaching is sort of explaining what happens in disciple-making in the command. So I think the baptizing is referring to bringing people into the church. I do think that's evangelism, but I think it's also... It's, it's bringing them into local churches. So I think if you go out and share the gospel with, you know, 100 people and a bunch of them get saved, but then you never get them plugged into a local church, I think that's missing a big part of the emphasis of what mm. Jesus is saying here. He's not, I don't, I'm not saying mass evangelism is wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying it's absolutely wrong. Okay. But I don't. I think this is the part it can be really weak on. You go, you you hear a preacher, he shares the gospel, you 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 get saved, and then you leave, and nothing happens. And I think that's where um, there's just some ministries are cautious, careful to to kind of think about that. I really appreciate actually our camp here we have in Iowa, um, Iowa Regular Baptist Camp. They they have churches bring counselors. They don't have counselors, and. The church is bringing the counselors means that you come with your kids, and then if there's any sort of spiritual decision, you're going back with them and you can follow up. And so I think there's an element of that going on. But the next thing he says is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so there's a couple of sermons I'd mentioned last time we talked about this. Uh, a year ago, there was one, and then this spring there was one. And what I thought was helpful about both those sermons is it opened it made me like the the one a year ago was the first time that I had realized that the Great Commission is not just evangelism. It's actually teaching and discipleship. Mm. And that that was reiterated this spring. I had done study since then. And so part of what I wanted to share is that if you have a ministry where you're teaching or discipling people, that's Great Commission ministry. It's mm. not just sharing the gospel. Um, I think that's that's all part of it. So what I want to think about, just like last time, I want to talk about like, what's it look like to go? What are the areas of going? I want to get creative and thinking about where this applies. This time I was trying to think, well, let's think about the teaching aspect. Where would, like, how would we think through what it looks like to be teaching? Um, and I think we could go in a number of directions. I got a direction, but I just thought I'd ask you guys, like, what do you think it looks like to be a gospel, like a great commission discipling moment where you're teaching people to obey. Like, give me some ideas on what that looks like. Here, here's what I'm going for. If we're Christians who want to follow the Great Commission and we find out, hey, part of what I'm supposed to do is teach people to observe, what does that look like when I want to obey God and follow him in that? I think I have an answer. I think I even have a verse to take us to, but you guys have anything off the top of your head? And these guys are getting hit with this cold listener, so I kind of like... Can you say the question again? What are some ways or what does it look like to teach people to observe all that I have commanded you? Like what's Not that how like? we do it. Sure, how? That could be part of it. How do you go about teaching? By are you are you asking this in a Okay, I have a lot of thoughts. I'll just say what I'm thinking. So, my first thought is there's a breadth of content there. So, okay. you're content. teaching them to observe all the things Jesus had commanded. Okay. So it's not 
you can't pigeonhole this into a theological discipline or even a specific practicum. It's not like, oh, this topic. It's it's all of the things, mm-hmm. all the things. So how do we teach in our discipleship? How are we teaching all the things? Okay. Is that the question? Kind of, yeah. That's okay. part of it. I'm mostly, here's what I'm thinking. So I have another, I have another okay. thought. Okay. And so, and it kind of goes back, we were talking earlier about how when we preach the word, there's two different ways you can preach. You can preach it in a way that you're preparing someone, something for someone. Like, I'm the chef. I cooked a meal for you. Here it is. Eat it. Point one, point two, point three, illustration, apply, pray. You know, we're done. That's one way to preach as the chef preparing the meal. And the other way to preach is to actually demonstrate the way that you got to the meaning of that passage to show them how they can do it on their own. I think to assume that we can effectively take someone from zero knowledge to a hundred percent, not like experiential applicable knowledge of all the things Jesus taught. It's like, I don't think a pastor can even track that or a teacher, a discipler. But if you're teaching them to understand the word, eventually they're not actually going to need you to teach them. So the definition or the answer to the question is to not, not a knowledge acquisition, but a knowledge, um, an ability to acquire the knowledge. Yes. So I think we can all agree. It's not just saying we need to like lecture and pass in content knowledge, right? Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's probably part of it. I think if I say like you're teaching people to obey and they don't know what to obey or they don't know about Jesus, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Well, oh man, I just hit the mic. Sorry, listener. So I was trying to think through like, where would I go in the Bible if I wanted to know how to like, like what, what, how would I would teach? Like what would be a way I could find something that's profitable for teaching. Is there anywhere in the Bible I could find something that's profitable yeah, so for teaching? The prophets. You're horrible. <laughs> Horrendous. So I, this is what I did. I was thinking of 2 Timothy 3, 17. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about prophet too. Yeah, no, that's the thing. But, well, here's the thing. Like, oh. and, and so, pro- so that actually hits one goal. Leave him alone and let him do his thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. I did this last episode Tim, you Charlie. Should, you should be so willing to let me do this to Andy because he does it to you all the time. I, I was know. Going, it's true. I was going to Proverbs. Proverbs well, 2. And the... I th- I think what you can do is you can look in many places. And so here's, here's goal number one. I think there's an, an understanding out there that the, that the great commission is only going door to door sharing the gospel. And I would say that it was really helpful for me to realize that the great commission is actually discipleship as a whole. So I really like that. And that's something I want the listener. If you've never had that idea before, I want you to go back to the Great Commission and meditate on the three things that we do when we make disciples. You're either going or as you're going, whichever way you take it, then you're teaching and then you're baptizing and consider what, what that would look like. And it's more than just door to door evangelism or sharing the gospel. It's not less than that. I'm not saying it's less than that, but it's more than that. But the second thing is it involves some type of teaching. 
And so if I want to teach effectively, there's lots of places in the Bible to go. Well, I want us to go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and have a conversation about that oh, passage. that's a really good place to go. Let's yeah. do it. Because I think it actually lays out some ideas here. And that's where I think you guys can definitely help me add some thoughts here. So 2 Timothy, this is a super well-known passage. So I'm going to read this and some listeners, you're, you're going to think I've heard this many times, but stick with me. All right. So 2 Timothy is a book where Paul knows he's about to die. And he's writing to a pastor of a church, Timothy. And he's writing to Timothy, probably knowing his death is imminent, and he wants him to know some really important stuff. So this is one of those books you take it pretty seriously. Yeah, I uh, believe those four words are kind of a good summary of the individual who is mature. Um, I would connect it even into 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be perfect, okay, or complete, the word there is mature. That's the idea of this individual. So the individual who is able to, um, first of all, be familiar with the word of God, okay, and then allow the word of God to, um, to uh, well, know the word of God and then be able to take the word of God and apply it to one's life, to then be able to see the problems within one's life and then, and then be willing and humble enough to admit that sin and, and to admit the wrong and to make changes in their life. Okay, that's the mature individual. That's the disciple I would also connect it to Proverbs chapter 2, because in Proverbs 2, you have the many different paths that a person can walk upon. And of course, that's a metaphor for one's lifestyle and one's behavior, the way the way in which one is going, uh, and being able to discern the right path. How, how does one go about doing that? Well, you need to listen to the right voices, okay? You need to listen to the authorities in your life, as Proverbs 2, the son, okay, listening to the father, uh, well, what is the authority in Second Timothy three sixteen? Word of God, the Word of God. Okay, so if you're not in the Word of God, you're not a mature disciple. If you don't know the Word of God and you can't implement it into your life, you're not a mature disciple. You haven't been discipled. Okay, so you know, make disciples. You need to get there still. And then, furthermore, as far as like being a teacher, what is it? What is my goal? My goal is to to teach other people. Um, not just the Word of God, but how to um, study the Word of God for themselves and then to be able to teach others to study the Word of God for themselves and then not just to study it, but then to live it and apply it to their lives, identify sin in their lives, be convicted, recognize what that conviction is, the work of the Holy Spirit, submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, and then walk in newness of life. That's a disciple. That's what what we uh, are striving for. That is that complete man, that mature man of 2 Timothy 3.17. So I agree with you. I think you're right on the dot there. Yeah, and you just mentioned walking in the Spirit. And I think that's um, how, how all of those words kind of fit together is they're going to prompt someone and, and other passages teach this explicitly, but it's going to prompt someone where they are or are not yielded to God through the spirit that is indwelling them. And uh, they will be taught something. Maybe it's something that they're supposed to do. Maybe it's something they're supposed to love or something that they're not supposed to love. And then they will realize the reproof and the correction. The spirit will convict them through the word. They'll realize of themselves that they are not 
what the teaching says. And then it's the, it, it is the spirit, uh, through the word that does the training that equips, that makes us new. And so that, I think that is a, the indispensable quality of, of discipleship is re- really, if they submit to the word of God, they're submitting to the spirit. And th- those are like the same yep. things. Yeah. Pastor Saucer used to always say, you pray the word of God, you know, you're praying the will of God. I think I've mentioned that before, but that you, you align yourself with the ways of God and the spirit of God when you yield to the, to the word of God. And uh, so that was one thought, but then an illustration, actually, Dr. Paul used this one time with the youth group at Maranatha and I never forgot it is a really good illustration about how teaching changes desire. And so how, how the acquisition of just rote knowledge can help change desire. And he's like, think about a young kid like a, a small child and how you might offer, you might reach into your pocket and offer them uh, some coins. You have a couple of coins in your pocket and you, you like, you can take one and they might look at those coins at first and they might, well, okay, this one is kind of really small and this one's bigger than the other ones. So I'm going to take the bigger one. And what they don't know is that the bigger one's actually a nickel and the smaller one's a dime. They don't know that the one is more valuable. Mm. But then over time, what's going to happen yeah. is they're going to learn, wait, well, time out. <laughs> that one is twice the value of that one. And they're not going to take nickels over dimes. Mm. And so oh, like you learn from the word of God. You're, you're taught. It is profitable to teach you. And specifically what I like about that is it's teaching you values of things. Yes. And uh, you, you can't really undermine a desire by telling someone why the desire is wrong but you can overpower a desire by telling them something that's better. Yes. And there's, there's a little ebook that I got a long time ago. It's the expulsive power of a new desire or the new love, or it's not an ebook. It's like probably a sermon that some old Christian guy preached and it's, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, a, fr- a friend of mine like did a whole blog post on that. Yeah. And, um, so I can't remember, I, I might've found it through that. It might be the same blog. I don't know. But, uh, you learn of new desires. You learn of what is valuable and over time, that can sh- that knowledge will shape you to love what you're supposed to love. Uh, but even even that knowledge of what is valuable can't be a substitute for the spirit of God in you actually making you love the new thing. And uh, and so there's there's a there's a balance there between well, is my knowledge of what the Word says purely what transforms me? Well, no, because you can know what's more valuable and still not want to choose it. Mm -hmm. But it's in the acquisition of that knowledge and then the yielding to that desire, yielding of that desire to the spirit where new desires would be formed. And, uh, but yeah, as as I think that's kind of how the teaching would integrate into like when you see the truth, that is what corrects you. That is what changes your, your desire. And that's what directs you the right way. So, so I think here, what I would, what I would suggest then is if you want to live out the great commission, you got to get in the word. And when you get in the word and when you get in the word with other people and when you get in the word on Sunday with your pastor and when you get in the word and you get in the word, the way the word wants to work. Okay. So you can get in the word and you can treat the Bible like Prozac or a stiff drink. I'm having a bad day. (laughs) I want to feel better. But get on your Jesus high. What does, and that's okay. It's not wrong to be encouraged by the word. I'm not saying that, 
But what does the Bible say? This is what it does. It rebukes you. It corrects you. And then it trains you in the right way. And so I would say that one way you can live out the Great Commission is by living in the Word of God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast.